All right. Thank you, Isaac. All right. Today, tonight, we're going to talk about these guys. Are they on the screen yet? Yeah. These were slaves in Egypt for a long time. And they called out to God to save them. You didn't think they took selfies back then. And they called out to God to save them. So God did. He sent a guy called Moses. He did that by calling out from a burning bush um, to bring them out of Egypt. So Moses went to the king of Egypt. And the king, uh, Moses said, hey, king of Egypt, can you please let the Israelites go so that they can go and worship God? And the king said, no. So um, God started performing incredible miracles to try and convince the king of Egypt. So this is one of those miracles. He turned all the water into blood. Look at how terrified the Egyptians were, poor things. And then uh, he also brought a plague of frogs. Uh, yeah, the frogs took selfies too. And, um, and then he did a few other uh, miracles. And this was by far the most significant one. This was right before the, he did his biggest thing. Um, th this selfie was taken right before God parted the Red Sea. Um, the, uh, and he parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians tried to pursue them, the water covered the sea again and they were drowned. And after that, sadly, there were no more selfies because they went into the wilderness and there was no coverage. So good. I'm so funny. And then in the wilderness, God continued caring for them intimately, so much so that he started feeding them miraculously by dropping food from the sky and giving them water to drink from a rock. It's pretty cool, hey? It was an amazing time to be alive, to witness God at work like that. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that we can know you. Lord God, tonight as we read your word, I pray that we will come in honor, in gratitude, in openness to allow you to speak to us through your precious word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This part of the Bible was one of the most dramatic as we saw God did the most outrageous miracles and he was so intimately involved in caring for his people. And then two months after they left Egypt, they set up camp at, at the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai. Here, Moses, their leader, remember the burning bush guy, went up and down the mountain. He went up the mountain to talk to God, and then he came down the mountain to talk to the people. Um, here it says, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared at light, and lightning flashed, and a dense cloud came on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in, on the form, in the form of fire. The smoke billowed in the sky like smoke from a brick, brick kiln. Um, and the whole mountain shook violently as the blast of ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke. God thundered 
his replied. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Let me ask you, if you were one of the Israelites and you were asked to approach this mountain and to approach this God, how would you be feeling? We'd probably be pooping our pants. Not sure if they wore pants, but if they did, they would be pooping their pants. It says here, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't, God, don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. God was revealing himself. God is big and magnificent and mighty and holy. And to be honest, a little scary. Actually, plenty scary. Dangerous, even. The Israelites were happy for Moses to go and meet with God. They would stay away. And then God gave them the Ten Commandments. The first two were these. Number one, you must not have any other God but me. All right? Second, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or in the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. So what was the first one? You must not have any God but me. Why? Because the cultural context was this. Everyone around the Israelites had many gods, many gods. And God said to the Israelites, not you guys, no other gods, just me, just one God. All right? Second, you must not make any idol and you must not bow down to worship them. What's the cultural context? Everyone else who had many gods had idols and they bowed down and worshiped them. And God said, you guys don't do it. You are my people. You don't do it. Then the Israelites said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses went up and down the mountain again. And one time, he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Can we have the next scripture, please? When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out here from the land of Egypt. Aya! <laughs> That's what I would say. It's only been four months, four months since they stepped on the Red Sea. Well, on the ground, the, you know, the, four months. They were still literally eating food falling from the sky that God was giving them. And they promised, remember? They promised God that they would not have any other gods and they would not make idols. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. 
When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> At this point, you're reading the story and you go, What? No. It gets better. Actually, worse. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf and he said, Tomorrow will be a festival unto the Lord. <sighs> the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. I'm not going to tell you what pagan revelry is. I just can tell you it's bad. Bad, okay? Then the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. You, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. God didn't want to have these people anymore. He was saying to Moses, they're your people. When they, this is Moses and Joshua coming down the mountain, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets that God gave him to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burnt it. Then he ground it into powder and threw it in the water and forced the people to drink it. Uh, Tim is very concerned about this part. It's like it's heavy metal, like drinking heavy metal. That's like really bad. And then Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And the Levites, so these were the priests, well, not yet, but they were going to be the priests. But the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, say. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Annihilate, I said annihilate because we have little people here. So they might not understand what that word means. Annihilate everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. Phew. Just a bit of light reading. This series is entitled Desire. What was the desire of the Israelites? They wanted a God. Is that a good desire? Yeah, yeah. God made us in his image. He made us to be in relationship with him. Therefore, we always have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Okay? So what happened? God revealed himself to them, this amazing, powerful, loving God who did miracles and cared for them in magnificent ways. His ways were amazing, and he was hard to understand. He appeared in thunder and lightning and trumpet blasts and smoke and fire, and he told them to do things that were different from the people around them. And when Moses went up on the mountain and stayed there for a long time, People had time to think. Actually, we're not sure we really like this God. Let's make us some new gods. What kind of gods will we make? Hmm. Well, ones that are easier for sure. Ones that are like the gods around us would be great. Um, ones that we can understand. Ones that we can kind of carry around. And ones that don't scare us or kill us. Um, ones that actually require us to drink and have wild parties as part of worship, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. It would be awesome. 
I'm beginning to think that the desire was not to have a God, but a God they can control, a God they can manipulate, not a God who is big and scary and hard to understand. And God tells them what to do. That's no fun. Their desire was a God on their terms. Their desire here is the desire for control. It's hard having a God beyond your control and beyond your comprehension. Now, how did that turn out? Well, not very well, not very awesome. God got mad, really mad. He told Moses what was happening. Moses came down. Moses got really mad. And about 3,000 people were killed that day. Judgment, destruction, and death. If you read further, there was actually more destruction and more death. The consequences were very, very serious. And the golden calf forever went down as one of the most disgraceful moments in Jewish history. Later in the Bible, it says in Romans, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even gave him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So what did God do? God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. When we create gods and worship them, the true God abandons us to our sins. And what's left is judgment when we stand before God. It's easy to judge the Israelites, very easy to judge them. You're like, idiots! But let me ask you, what was that last part of the story? The Levites obeyed Moses' command, God's command, and annihilated about 3,000 people. How do you feel about this? It's hard, isn't it? It's often hard when we read the Bible and we come to bits like this that doesn't seem to quite fit our image of our modern God, our modern, loving, sweet, meek, and mild God. Then what do we do? Instead of letting the passage challenge us and invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, we ignore it or we explain it away. Actually, very often without even realizing, we make our own gods in our minds. Instead of God making us in our image, we make gods. We make God in our image. What? Instead of God making us in his image, we make God in our image. That's correct. We make God fit into the box we made for him. All I ever wanted was babies. As a kid, all I wanted to do was grow up, get married, have babies because they're so cute. So when I got married, Tim and I wanted babies right away. We prayed and did the necessary to have babies. But then it wasn't happening as fast as we wanted it to. So we got books to read about, or I did, about how to pray to have a baby. 
I fasted and I prayed. I claimed Bible verses. I claimed in the name of Jesus that I would have a baby. I cast out all manner of bad spirits that were stopping me from having a baby. And when I finally did fall pregnant, I miscarried. I was told that if only I had enough faith, I would have a baby. I tried having more faith, like this. I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't really know how to have more faith. And when it still wasn't happening, I scolded myself some more for not having enough faith. Others around me started joining me to scold me that I wasn't having enough faith. or I wasn't learning the lesson God was teaching me. I must have horrible, unconfessed sins. So, you see, it was not a very nice time. But you know what? My friends and I, we got it all wrong. God is not a vending machine. We don't get to come to him, push the right buttons, do the right thing, and then he does something for us. It doesn't work like that. We had made God to fit into our box, this transactional God that I could control. If I did this and prayed like this, he would do that. But it doesn't work like that. So what was the consequence? After berating myself, I started to resent God because I was supposed to do this and he was supposed to do this. When it didn't work, whose fault was it? First, it was my fault. Slowly, it became God's fault. My love for God was growing dim. So following a God I made didn't work out for me. I did everything I was supposed to and he didn't do his part. I got disillusioned. Eventually, I started to blame him. I started to realize it wasn't even about babies anymore. It was about my relationship with him. If he doesn't even come through for me with babies, what else would he not come through for me? Was he still reliable? Because he didn't seem to be. I still 100% believed in God and the gospel that Jesus came to die for us, uh, to save us. So I kept sharing the gospel and kept ministering to others, but my love for God was dying. One day, I realized I didn't even love God anymore, but I wanted to. I desperately wanted to love God with everything I had. So I started praying, God, I don't love you, but I really want to love you. Will you help me? Help me love you. I prayed like that for four years. When I thought nothing was happening in those four years, God was preparing my heart for the most amazing thing, one of those experiences that have marked me for life. I started reading books by Philip Yancey who wrote from the perspective of those who were suffering. And God began to change my heart about a few things. One, do I love him for what he gives to me like a farmer loves a cow for its produce? Or do I love him through thick and thin, even when there is nothing to gain? Second, I learned that he is God, I am not. He sees the big picture, I do not. His timing is not my timing. His idea was different to mine. And freedom finally came to me when I realized that I had made God fit into my box. If I do this, he does that. I realized that God fits into no box. He does whatever he sees fit. And we don't get to tell him what to do and how to do it, no matter what kind of prayer we pray. But we still must pray for healing, for babies, for miracles. Why? 
because Jesus taught us to. But we leave the results to him. Some people swing to the other extreme and don't pray for healing and miracles anymore. But that's also a golden calf. The ones who name it and claim it assume that God would definitely do it. But the ones who say, I will not pray anymore, assumes that God will definitely not do it. Both are gods in a box. Do you have a God in a box? When we don't understand, we bow the knee to surrender instead of raising the fist to demand. We are to pray like Jesus said and trust him with the results. He reigns above it all. He will allow things and do things that I like, and he will allow things and do things that I don't like. There will be many aspects of him that I will not understand, and many things in scriptures that I will not understand until I see him face to face. I had to come to a point of surrendering my will at submitting to this God and say, uh, this God who is beyond my control and understanding, and say, not my will, but yours be done. I had to repent. I asked God to forgive me for loving him like a farmer loves his cow for its produce. And I got mad when God didn't give me what I wanted. I had to ask God to forgive me. I asked him to help me love him no matter what. Help me love him. And four years of praying, Finally, a deep sense of love and awe re-entered my heart for God, a new determination to love him no matter what. And what I'm certain now is this, he is good. He is good. He loves me and he loves those around me. His desires for us are good, even if they are different from our own desires. One day, when Jesus comes back again, there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. And until then, we have faith, we have hope, we have love. Faith in a God who is in control. He hasn't lost the plot. When that pregnancy test would not show me the second line, he hasn't lost the plot. Hope that he will make all things new one day. He promised. He promised. And love. Through all that pain, he loves us unfailingly, unconditionally, extravagantly. And we are to love him back and others in the same way. Now, many years later, I see his plan. And it is good. We have three of the most beautiful children in the world given to us through adoption. And we love them to bits. One day, I will see my two other children lost in miscarriage. I will see them again. I will hold them again. I may have lost them, but God hasn't lost them. They are with him. God is good. He has all my broken dreams in his hands. So we get a choice. Do we love and follow a God who is beyond our control, who sometimes says and does things we find hard to understand? Or do we make up a God in our hearts based on the image we like him to be? We could come to a passage of scripture like this 
when Moses commanded the Levites to do such a violent thing, we could choose to ignore it, explain it away so that it fits into the God in our box. Or we could come to a passage like this and come to God and say, Lord, this is hard. What is this about? Help me understand. And even when I can't understand, I want to love and follow you. Help me, Lord. We can come around other Christians to learn to read our Bible, learn how to engage in passages like this. This year at Unfiltered, at our young adult gatherings, we are going to do justice. We're going to learn how to read the Bible, including the tough bits. We're going to have people from Worldview come to teach us how to engage with Scripture. We need to be okay with discomfort when we read the Bible. We need to know until Jesus comes back again, we only see in part. We don't yet see fully and clearly. We need to be okay to trust God that he hasn't left us when we feel abandoned. Do you feel lonely and abandoned? We need to trust that he hasn't left us. The same God who has been faithful will be faithful again. I sense that there is someone listening to this right now who sometimes in your loneliness and depression, the only relief was to hurt yourself. And you do it. I want you to hear this, that he hasn't abandoned you. The very fact that I'm mentioning it right now shows you that he sees and he loves and he cares for you. Stop doing that because that same God who has been faithful to you will be faithful again. God loves you. God loves you. The next time you reach out for whatever it is you use, stop. Talk to God. Come to God. Cry out to him. Have we got Jesus all figured out? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> he might just do something different, something new, something weird, something out of the box. Might make some mud out of spit or something. We need to be okay with God doing new things among us that we feel unfamiliar with. When we talk about engaging our digital community, some of us felt very uncomfortable very unfamiliar. And yet the 40 days of prayer, we engaged digitally. 40 days and it was incredible. I'm so grateful for God's work in my heart, answering my prayer of four years. I know of many Christians, when God didn't fit the box they made for him, they walked away. And you know what? If they don't come back, there'll be nothing left but judgment when they finally stand before him. So I'm so grateful. What about you? Do we need to come back to God? We humans are made in God's image to be in relationship with God. There is always a God-shaped hole inside of us. We will desire God. That's a good desire. But we humans also desire control. Let's stop controlling God. Let God be God. Let us surrender and follow and obey even when we don't understand. For this much we know, He 
is good. And he loves us. He loves you. He knows your name. He even numbers the hair on your head. Every day of your life is written in his book. He is for you, not against you. He has never left you, never. He saw you when you were beautifully made in your mother's womb. Scripture says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully. When God made you, there was awe. There was silence. There was intricacies. The angels didn't dare to utter a word because God was in deep work, intricately creating something beautiful. Zeke is a jeweler. The intricacy, the awe-inspiring detail that you put in a precious piece, that's how God made you. That's how God made me. We're not rubbish. He loves us. He loves you. You are not rubbish. He loves you. We know that. He is good. He loves us. And we can trust him. Do we understand all the time? Nah. If we can, then he's not God. But from what we know of him, it's enough for us to hold and to trust and to have faith, hope, and love. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, He pours His love into our heart through the Holy Spirit. He fills our heart with the Holy Spirit and He fills our heart with love. I want to invite you to put out your hands if you feel comfortable. It is not a magical formula. It is simply the opposite of this. Just put out your hand and say, Yes, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with your love. God, whatever you want to say to us tonight, may we know that it is from love because you love us. Some of us need to repent. Some of us need to come to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God, when I've been mad at you for not doing what I want. Some of us need to come and repent and ask God to forgive us for the false God, for the golden calf we've made, for the God in a box we've made in our minds. And some of us simply need to come and believe that this God really, 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 really does love me. Come, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing a deep work in your heart. It may be uncomfortable. You may think it's awkward. But just sit and let God do it. 
Lord, I pray that you lead us on this journey. All of us are on a different journey. Whatever it is that we have desired. For me, it was babies. For other people, it's other things. God, I pray that you bring us to a place of surrender. To say, God, your ways are better than my ways. Even though I don't like it, I'll surrender. I'll trust you. I'll have faith in you that you are faithful, that you have not lost the plot, that I have hope that you will make all things right because you promised. May not be according to my timeline, but you promised. And through it all, you love us. You love us with a reckless love that is beyond words. I pray tonight for everyone listening and everyone listening to this later than tonight that God, if we walk away with nothing, we walk away with love, knowing that you love us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.